As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures. But there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series that explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Simon Boxer, current designer and founder at Twice Different. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Simon. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, going quite well. Keeping busy as always, but that's life. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. No, not a problem at all. It's uh, it's great to have you on. Um, I I wondered if oh, it must have only been like a month or two ago that I just it was kind of those just random follows. I, I dropped I dropped the follow on your on your Twitter account, and I just wondered because I know there's a few uh, local Australian developers that have just maybe because friends or whatever have started to pop up on the show in recent months or years i'm wondering if there's like a oh here we go paul's coming for me because <laughs> uh, <laughs> no but i have seen that you've uh you've had a lot of a lot of people that i know on your, on your podcast i had to listen to some of them and uh, oh good yeah a bunch of friends friends in there making appearances which is great it's such a uh a, a close community like everyone knows everyone in dev it's really cool yeah, even even interstate, and of course, there's even still quite, uh, some good reach overseas as well. So it's it's kind of great to see those networks as an outsider to it. Like, I mean, I, I kind of get involved a little bit through the media side, but as an outsider to the actual development scene, it's it's really interesting, kind of seeing the web connect. Um, as, oh, this yeah. person knows this person who knows this person who knows this person who's suddenly friends with Corey Barlog. I'm like, oh, righto. <laughs> or it's just it's, these random, random sort of things that pop it, up. So. Yeah, it really does feel like um, two degrees from everyone within yeah. the development industry. I was uh, I lived in San Francisco for about um, well a year total to sort of oh, awesome. brush up my art skills and go to developer meetings when my career was more kicking off. Yeah, and uh, I'd go to the game dev groups there. And back here in Melbourne, I run a, a local game dev meetup for lunches, and just randomly to one of those events someone that i'd met in the san francisco scene turned up and we couldn't quite point point out like put our finger on where we knew each other or where we felt familiar from and eventually that came out and it's like such a small world to think someone you'd met in san francisco at one game development meetup yeah remembers you and then rocks up at your own events in the other side of the world <laughs> yeah like you said those degrees of separation it's particularly crazy and i think in our industry where it is so close despite being so big so mm. i'm yeah, sure your name indeed. will pop up through future through future episodes as you know or discussions around other episodes where you know oh, i know simon i've worked with simon this or we spoke here or we met up in san francisco who knows who i end up talking to at some point so <laughs> yeah who knows um it's really interesting like that it's a, it's a great industry in that space but this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that's led and culminated to at this current point. So, Simon, before we get to that time in the industry, before we get to the, the games you've made and the people you've met and and the, the work you've done, I thought I'd rewind a little bit and, and look at some of the games that you played before you got into the industry, uh, some of the things that might have informed uh, some of your tastes even a little bit. What were some of the first games yeah. that you played? 
Yeah, some of the first games I played. So that would have been um, like on 486 PC. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, my, my, yeah, my grandfather was actually uh, quite into technology as well. My father was a nice. electrical, like electronic engineer. He studied one of the first electronic engineer courses in Perth, which is where I grew up. Yep. And so his side of the family was quite technological. My grandfather would actually get on the early 90s internet and download shareware games for me to try. And he'd have a, cool. like a new stack of Apogee games were my favorites, like Commander Keen and... Crystal Caves and... Yes, yes, some um, really good choices a, there. Yeah, yeah. Apogee made excellent games back in the 90s. And uh, he always had some new things to try out. Like, I remember trying out Wolfenstein and I absolutely hated it the first time I played it. Oh, okay. I think it was too brutal for me at, like, yeah, right. eight years old. Like, nowadays, you I probably wouldn't. Yeah, oh, I, think, I, I think I might have been might introduced have been to Wolfenstein eight. slash Doom at a similar sort of age. I was like, oh, mm. I don't know. And then I think randomly Doom 64 entered my life and that changed things a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I loved I loved Doom actually, uh, which was kind of weird. That came a bit later. So maybe I'd warmed to the idea of this new first person thing. But yeah, I'd possibly. say um, in terms of like uh, influential games, like Ultima 7 was one of my favorite oh, yeah. games growing up. The Ultima games I really loved um, and yeah Apogee games like the platformers uh, this is probably where I started like Commander Keen and I'd always draw um, like the gargs they're called those green monsters with the eyeballs on stalks that oh yeah yeah okay. I mean, I'm not, this is the first I'm not three super well versed but I do that's a name that I recall and I feel like there's yeah. an image I'm kind of visualising in my head I think <laughs> yeah these are really goofy alien enemies like the first things you see in the first ones and that was like some of my early art inspiration for games i guess nice. drawing that drawing commander key and this kind of thing so um, how did some yeah, of your so taste develop as you as you grew up i guess you know we've spoken a lot about kind of when you're about eight or thereabouts and some of the games you experienced yeah. then uh, how about th- as things kind of developed were there any franchises or genres that you started to latch onto at all I was pretty diverse in the games that I played. Uh, I got really into StarCraft as well. So I played yep. that for about five years, pretty full on, and um, Ultima Online, which was after that. Um, but yeah, I guess like sort of the mid, the pathway from Apogee was like RPGs, I'd say, like Baldur's Gate. And, oh, yeah, um, of course. Yep. I got to Fallout a bit late, but enjoyed Fallout. And yeah, Ultima 7 is obviously kind of like an RPG. And it's interesting that I've strayed away from that in what I play now because uh, they're so time-consuming. It's probably part of it. It's like yeah, you I need just to really yeah, have the time to immerse yourself in an RPG world. But um, yeah, I like multiplayer. I like pretty hardcore games. Um, generally, I'm definitely more of a gamer, kind of uh, like a mid-to-hardcore gamer. Yeah, I follow you. I know... It's dictated somewhat by circumstances like, and those sorts of things too. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I like the challenge. I like puzzle games as well. So, like, anything that's got problem solving or anything that's um, competitive, um, yeah, I'll play a pretty wide range of games. Puzzle games are just that one that may- maybe I'm just too stupid for them. I don't know. I just, I, I just can't seem to, <laughs> can't seem to uh, get into them for long enough. Like, I'll always give them a go. I appreciate, really appreciate what they're doing, but maybe I'm just not simply not intelligent enough to be able to push on. I end up hitting a, hitting a, a brick wall at some point and get frustrated and move on it but might be the types of games still as well like summer yeah true 
some are quite obscure. Like I like, I, I think like any game that I play on, it needs to be qu- quite usable. Like the user yeah. experience needs to be really honed. Um, and I struggle to get into games that are really, um, you know, you need to invest like a hundred hours before you actually know it. Unless it's a multiplayer game like League yeah, of well, Legends that's... or that kind of thing. Yeah, that, that, like, certainly that tier yeah. is, is quite different. That tier of game is quite different in terms of the commitment and what you're getting out of that time commitment. So, Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, as, as um, you said yourself, very diverse taste, um, quite spreading your interest around quite a lot. And uh, and obviously, I'm sure all those various experiences have probably informed quite a lot of some of your time in development. I'm sure there's things you've picked up from some of the yeah. games you've played and and the games that you've liked and loved over the journey that have probably played a big part in everything that's come up. But uh, we'll get to all of that in a moment. Was there a, was there a game at all or a series that that you feel maybe even helped steer you towards getting involved in the industry yourself in some capacity? Oh, that's or a good was it question. Maybe just the co- maybe, um, yeah, I mean, it might very well have just been the culmination think, of all those years and experiences. Yeah, I think... I'd say Blizzard game. Like, the StarCraft influence on me was very much like I'd see Sam Lee's or Samwise's uh, concept art and I would be really inspired by like his infested Terrans and and his Zerg uh, drawings and I'd sort of emulate that and that yeah. was really inspirational for me like I wanted to make graphics for video games but I didn't know what that was like when I was going through uni or gra- graduating high school there wasn't a course available in Perth for game development or learning yeah, okay. how to make art for games so is that is that yeah, part of the reason for like trips to san francisco and those sorts of things at that stage or am i yeah still... definitely so yeah. i so i actually um i studied graphic design um the parents did that thing where you know the, there's no money in art you go and do the more commercial version of art and then... yes of course yeah i'm following <laughs> there's an income <laughs> and there then after yeah, supposedly, but I never actually uh, worked at a studio as a graphic designer. Although I kind of, um, yeah, so after uni, I basically spent a year like in my room. This is around the time I discovered conceptart.org. The forums and art forums were really big in oh, the okay, right. sort of 2000s. And uh, I just basically spent a year really trying to hone my craft on these online forums doing challenges. Um, they've got like, they had creature of the week design or character of the week design challenges and things like that, which I'd participate in. Yeah. Okay. And then after that, I managed to rustle up a folio and get my first job. But San Francisco was after the first job, sort of. Uh, yeah, right. I follow. It's that's really interesting. The whole forum thing there and that sort of approach. So I, I mm. mean, you pro- you obviously had like artistic skill anyway, but those. Um, those forums and that sort of engagement, I guess, maybe helped you channel that skill into something specific totally. or yeah, that'd be about right. Yeah. It, it really opens up. It really gave me a more sort of holistic understanding of what the profession that I wanted to do was because I, it, before I found this forum, I didn't even know what a concept artist was. And then yeah, they okay. had directed challenges each week uh, this was just one part of the forum. In the other parts, you could see, you know, people posting their um, professional work, like top tier industry people. Like yeah, a lot okay. of the top tier industry people would post in this forum. Um, industry concept artists. This this is. So you could see where you needed to be, and people would also critique you in the forums if you know you hung around and made those kind of relationships. 
which was hard fantastic, to do. Though. Like, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, definitely really, really valuable at the time. I don't know if there's anything really quite like it now that's interactive in the same way. There's sort of Facebook groups, but they're not... Um, because of the algorithm, it's not like you have a sort of home in the group. Yeah, Whereas probably. in these forums, you can have like your own sort of sketchbook thread that you update consistently and people can stop by your thread when they see it, you know, bumped yeah, up I mean- and they can see your progress. Even even the way like you're describing it, and I mean, I've spoken on the show previously about how, and I mean, I've spoken to you even before we started recording that that I'm a teacher by profession, and one of the main things that we're talking about in terms of uh, student development and those sorts of things is this idea of the student identifying where I am, where I'm going, and what do I need to do to get there. And it sounds like mm. as a part of that forum, you basically had a similar sort of thing there, where you've you've got people there and they're helping you to kind of identify where you're at and and what you're doing and obviously there's a lot of self-reflection as a part of that as well you've got Mm. kind of this this goalpost this destination in the form of here's what the professionals who are actually out there doing this on a day-to-day job like they're they're out there as well and you can see kind of what they're doing and how they're doing it and then you've got all these people along the way that can help guide you and steer you and provide feedback it really sounds like you had the perfect sort of um environment to really foster those abilities that you had have yeah and the opportunity <laughs> oh, they're just fading away. Sorry, it just and the opportunity of <laughs> also the opportunity of just having time available. So um, yeah, I, I was able to you know live at home, and that's a huge privilege. While I was re- building these skills in the first place um, to get myself ready for a job, um, and then yeah, the timing just worked out from when I launched into the into the industry, but. Um, yeah, in terms of like the goalposts and being able to see goalposts, yeah, it's hugely important. I think it's it's really important to keep exposing yourself, like regardless of what your craft is in development or any creative industry, because it's always evolving. Like even in the wider sort of game development field and the market, like you're going to be competing against the top games out there, the top whatever, like yes. all the way down to your role as a concept artist you're competing with the top concept artists and when you when i first jumped onto the forum um like i would be collecting inspirational art reference folders of all these artists that i like and also from deviant art and yeah. uh then your taste kind of evolves over the time that you're exposed to all this over the time that you're working and learning about how to see the imperfections in your craft kind of thing and, well, you start to become you know, a product of your experiences and your peers in many ways too. Yeah, totally. And and then years back, years on, you look back at... Well, I looked back at my inspirational work, work folder and a bunch of it was just absolute garbage. And I thought at the time that it was really good. I couldn't discern between the good and the bad. And I think this is this is where experience comes into play with a lot of aspects of game development as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, through just the the stories I've heard over the journey, it sounds, yeah, very much that point exactly. Um, from here, we've we've kind of danced around it quite a lot. I think probably a good time for <laughs> us to actually talk about that that first experience sure. and how, how. I mean, I've got a few uh, places listed in that earlier stage of your career in kind of that 2007 to 2010, 11 sort of period uh, in the form of Interzone yeah. Games, different methods, Rocket Hands. 
how did that first opportunity actually emerge for you? You've been been on the forums there. You're you're honing your craft. How did that first opportunity yeah. finally pop up? So I had a I had a folio, um, and yeah, I was I was looking for whatever work. Like nothing was in Perth really at the time. There was one studio that was notorious for hiring um, work experience kids, and I did like a couple of weeks there unpaid, and they sort of said, you know, in a in uh when we have some work available or some funds we'll get you in potentially as an environment artist all right okay and that that didn't go anywhere but i had that you know as some work experience and uh then yeah this i heard i don't know where i heard it but i heard about a studio that was rumbling uh sort of in the works potentially going to start up in perth and they were having like a cocktails event and oh, okay. somehow I managed to get invited to this event. And so I met some other people that were being, um, you know, contacted about it. And I met the founder and he was, he did a little talk about, you know, whether they were deciding whether to go in Melbourne or in Perth for this startup. And they eventually started in Perth. And then it, maybe like three months after the event, um, I'd, I'd applied to work there as well like they they asked for applications yeah and three months after the event which was probably about a month or two after i actually applied i got a call from their art director they were something like um yeah i think they were like under 10 people at the time just setting up the studio and the art director called me up and brought me in for an interview um sort of on the that Friday, I think. And I went in on the Friday and uh, did the interview. They gave me the offer. I was like, yeah, this sounds good. The interview was Friday morning. And uh, the art director says, you know, I've got some, I brought an extra sandwich. Do you want to, you can start (laughs) after lunch if you want. I can give you a sandwich. I was like, between uh, lunch and I reckon I'll just start on Monday. I think you're pretty well, pretty well set, right? (laughs) Uh, But yeah, anyway, this, so this was just a really, this is one of those sort of the stars align. Like I had a good folio at the time because I'd had that really solid study period with the forum that was like after uni where I'd left uni not really knowing what <laughs> what the profession was even called. Yeah, of And course. then just deep dived on this forum and like spent all my days sort of like doing that. And I was working, you know, like a night fill job to get money. Um and yeah just sort of lined up with having this folio ready this studio was starting up which was going to be the first like most ambitious per studio and uh it it was it grew to like 50 plus people and then had multiple studios worldwide so we were working with a chinese studio a brazilian studio and head offices in chicago um but yeah it spectacularly failed like it it imploded and it owes the ato something like $700,000 in unpaid wages and taxes and uh, they they stole the IP and shipped it off to a shell company in Ireland when they were closing it down and it was just a big mess. (laughs) An absolute disaster. That's not not how your first experience in the industry was to go. Yeah. Was there a a thought at that point when things kind of imploded so spectacularly that maybe I should go back to the graphic design and or explore <laughs> another option entirely was was well, did that ever cross the mind 
Yeah, so I actually quit a year before it fully imploded. And a pamph- like I was one of the first artists in and one of the first artists out. So I'd been there for two years and we'd already had periods of like up to six to eight weeks where we'd been unpaid and then they'd sort of like back pay us. Oh, and right. then you could people started quitting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I quit a bit earlier. I, and then a lot of people stayed on and some people were owed off up to 30 grand in debt um, by Oof. the time they finished up, which was really bad. Yeah, it was really, it was really bad. Uh, but yeah, after that, I was like, I took, I actually spent a year just um, being a, well, trying out gallery exhibiting, like curating okay. and exhibiting digital art in sort of like a fine art capacity. So running gallery shows and how was that? that? So I mean, that's um, something I yeah, don't. That was... That's something I don't have noted amongst all my little my little. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, really... I'm keen to pick your brain now. Yeah, what right. Like? I don't really have that noted anyway. Oh, that was that was fun. Like it was something that I'd always wanted to do as an artist. So I just thought, you know, the studios collapsed, and actually, because this is around the time of the GFC, and um, yes, I I just did a lot of damage to the like, local scene. Yeah, exactly. Um, but in one of those weird sort of turn of fate opportunities, I just put all my savings in the crashed market, the stock market. And so then made a little bit of return on that to keep me going for a bit and then sort of indulge in being a fine artist for a bit. Oh, you're a savvy investor. Did you did you invest in GameStop recently? <laughs> <laughs> no. I was too slow for that. Ah, too slow. No, we, can't, we can't all be there right. We all the know, crawling Reddit at the right time. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I didn't have much money to put in, but like, you know, <laughs> but it paid when you're in your early case. 20s, if you put like 15 grand into something, it's like, oh, wow. If that doubles or triples, it's like, okay. Oh, you're a genius at that point. That's right? like a, a year salary. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so just got pretty lucky with that. I don't know. There's a lot of luck, I think, involved in many people's careers. Uh, it's oh, yeah. just... Yeah, there's there's all different kinds of luck as well. If there's been one common thread that I've heard throughout a lot of the stories from people who've come on this show, it's been, I've been in the right place at the right time, or it was just total luck. I just happened to meet such and such. Like, it was all... They're, yeah. they're all those sorts of stories. So, it, it does you make You need the prerequisites, again, though. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you make yeah, your own luck to an extent. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah, no, I do, I do believe that. There's, there's luck and there's also... Um, yeah, you, you can create more opportunity than is va- available by default. So, like, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. But anyway. So, yeah. from there, and, uh, we've, got, we've got, like I mentioned, there's different methods along the way. You were working on some educational games through that period. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah Rocket yeah. Hands with some mobile titles as well. So, you're getting a, a range of different sorts of experiences early on, which would be, which would be fascinating, I'd imagine. Especially, yeah, especially so kind of going co-founded. into work on educational games, given... <laughs> kind of your experiences as a, as a consumer and the sorts of games that you're into. Um, edutainment yeah. mightn't have been maybe the, the first thing you would have gone for? Yeah, it was, it was kind of... Um, so it was designing like a fun environment, like a uh, playground kind of environment assets. So it was... Yeah, I, I mean, it was an all right gig. It was pretty different to Interzone, which was making a, a football, a soccer game. And I went into that job with the portfolio of, of creature art and like horror yep. things and characters and 
all of that. And then they sat me down and were like, we need a bunch of buildings. And so I just drew buildings for a couple of years, pretty much. I mean, this is, I did a lot of stuff, but mostly environment things. And yeah, that's okay. sort of where I learned to draw in perspective properly and um, really hone the environment side of things. So I was kind of specialized as an environment artist by the time I left and then different methods needed that. And then um, also, yeah, so I co-founded Rocket Hands with people that had that were at Interzone Games. Like, um, but yeah, we and this is the early days of the iPhone. So we were going to make yeah. some mobile apps and see how it goes. And we could have... We, I reckon we could have found success if we were a bit more coordinated, but everyone was, we, we stupidly had a team of, we had a, we had a team of, um, five programmers, one business guy and one artist, which was me. And so yeah, okay. they were prototyping different things at the same time and just, you know, uh, needed a bit of focus. We released a couple of things, but not polished enough for um yeah to to hold up in the early days and even back then it was kind of like an experiment you you didn't know it was going to blow up back then so you didn't know sort of to put in like so much effort and uh and it was also the early days of unity so yeah okay so there's a there's a lot of things that you're all just trying to get your head around and learn at the same time again with mobile platforms like like the iphone all kicking off at the same time as well yeah yeah, definitely. Um, and the people that invested in that stuff have done well. It's like the boom of <laughs> games. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Learn, you get in, get in at the right time. With the yeah, right totally. And it's, it's hard to spot like what opportunities are available right now. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, it's hard to get a read on everything, anything at the moment, really, thanks to, thanks to the current state of the world. But, but yeah. It, yes, that is true. Cer- certainly well. in the tech, uh, technology space, it, it is constantly evolving and changing so fast that it would be very hard to get a read on exactly what's going to be the right thing at the right time. And in the nature of developing games of some sort, it's it's usually, not always, but usually a multi-year um, investment. Yes, exactly. And to hit the market just the right time is, again, maybe probably cycling back to a lot of luck involved. Yeah, well, the earlier the better um, to get a, I mean, to get a properly produced thing out in the market. Yeah. And actually with Ring of Pain, I was wanting to release it earlier, but in retrospect, I'm glad we had more time to, to polish um, for release because we're even now still adding content that I would have loved to get in for release, but <laughs> it's getting added now. Well, what what's crazy about Ring of Pain is that, that I mean... I look at the credits here that everything I've been jotting down over the course of the last couple of days as I prepared for the show and that's still so far away. There's still so much that you've done in the meantime. What interested me, there was there was a period here where you weren't so much focused on, on games. There's a, uh, a You were doing art for a pilot animated series called God, uh, God Squad. There was the oh, uh, Fallout Lanius uh, fan film there. You were doing yes. ads for, uh, for Honda and Birdseye. Among others, I'm That's sure. That's right. Like, yeah, you really, you really trolled through. <laughs> oh, look. To be fair, to be fair, LinkedIn is just a fantastic resource. It's got my list. Yeah, um, which does exactly. make things incredibly easy in some respects. But you, you do a little bit of other digging as well on top of it. Um, but yeah, when I how, how first moved to Melbourne, first? like uh, most most of the work when I first moved to Melbourne was more like VFX animation kind of stuff because uh, I I didn't really have a foothold in games. Yeah. Okay. Um, so just to make sure there's at least still. I, I was sort of working my way in still 
and um yeah so how did those come about that's a good question i think i just applied for some of the things and um or maybe was referred on because there weren't the the um, background artwork was for animation um that was for a perth company and so there were basically no i was like maybe one of under five concept artists in perth and so when uh some work like that was around chances are like someone probably knew me uh and was able to refer me on or something so i guess that's a bit more difficult when you come over to melbourne because there's it's such a a heated and competitive space over here yeah 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 it is and i was lucky that allura took a chance on me they had a really nice um art director at the time that sort of met up with me and talked me through sort of what they look for and whatnot and they put me on storyboards and um yeah brought me in for a handful of commercials so that was good i hadn't done storyboarding before but i didn't tell them that i just went in and drew storyboards and uh researched a lot about yeah exactly research like shots and directing and stuff and uh yeah in terms of traveling over from from perth anyway what um what was the what was the motivation in that particular space was it was it all about opportunity or were you still looking for a bit of a sea change as well or how, how did that decision yeah to, to move the entire way across australia come about <laughs> well actually the first move was from perth to san francisco so oh yeah of course okay, that so that's was, where san francisco yeah was so in. i <laughs> so i went to um another straight after interzone collapsed well after i'd done my sort of year of art stuff i noticed that there was a new sort of atelier style concept art school starting up in the u.s called the art department which was co-founded by um one of the founders of concept art jason manley who is um notorious within the concept art industry uh for not good reasons okay and (laughs) (laughs) He was starting a school with um, John English, who runs a thing called the Illustration Academy, and they run a workshop. They ran a two-week workshop in Kansas City, and then they split all the students into four um, what they called pods across America to do like intensive study in these studios. And one of them was based in San Francisco, and so I chose to do the San Francisco. I went. I enrolled um, for the whole thing, which was a going to be like a two and a half three year course um and did six months and uh that was enough they were actually shutting the san francisco studio after those six months because yeah the similar kind of dodgy business is going on um with this experience as interzone happens so there's a lot of parallels with my first industry and (laughs) Starting to think that maybe this business wasn't for you at that point. I just keep seeming uh, to run into mismanaged organisations everywhere I go. I just love collecting stories, so I was just looking for these <laughs> terrible, terrible. No, <laughs> no, actually, it was a really valuable uh, experience. <laughs> yeah, no, I shouldn't call it that. It was really valuable, and um, the other studios across america did actually stay open funnily enough just the san francisco ones oh, closed because they never uh, had a living uh they so it's a bit more like complex and political they were trying yeah, okay. to set it up with um people that the founder had a falling out with 
and he promised that they were going to be involved in the studio and they were like no we never said this where this is a really top tier concept art um studio that was meant to be running the san francisco one which is also partly a large reason of why i chose san francisco and then we got there and we're told that we were bamboozled by um jason basically so that's a bit um, of a shame yeah but it was still fun and you know like living in somewhere completely different uh going yeah, from opposite Perth, side of the which globe. is very like urban sprawl and suburban and family living to san francisco which is like oh everyone's scared of the tenderloin and um you know people are a bit more wild than melbourne kind of thing yeah, but it was going a million fun, miles like, an hour yeah and also as like a early early to mid 20s you know person i'm like in this city a bit more naive and not you know i don't have this kind of fear instilled in me so i'm accruing more stories and going to the more sketchy areas as well just like unknowingly and seeing you know like people that just wear leather straps kind of thing and all oh, right okay. in the butt hanging out and and uh <laughs> like this is not uncommon in certain districts and the art studio was actually in sort of the south of market area which is very close to the tenderloin and somewhat sketchy but um yeah okay yeah really interesting yeah. place anyway yeah well i mean you got, you got plenty of, no, no no plenty of stories at that point was there a temptation given that you'd already found yourself in uh, in the u.s at that particular stage to to see what you could do whether it be other opportunities at other studios or whatever we were there did you explore those options or or given everything yeah, that had gone on yeah. and you'd you'd experienced a little bit you thought oh maybe it's maybe it's time to come home yeah no i really wanted to um explore those opportunities so i actually um yeah i booked a couple of trips off my own back and then just sort of messaged people that were like connected to certain studios and said hey i'm going to be in the area at this time um can i come check it out and so i actually um managed to check out blizzard one of the diablo 3 artists like took me around blizzard and um also took me to drink and draw with some of the blizzard artists and that was really cool like an la drink and draw that was really fun and um went up to seattle and visited valve as well which is like so valve and blizzard were my my big they're like my favorite studios growing up basically yeah i mean you've made it pretty clear before that you were very much a pc gamer growing up so uh yeah usually usually not always but usually valve and blizzard are right near the very top of people's lists if they if they've kind of been pc kids yeah absolutely so the first phase was like blizzard with starcraft and and stuff and i still love blizzard games but then valve comes in with like half-life and feels like the sort of sophisticated fps and you know i did steam workshop as well more recently so really um yeah really really appreciate valve and what they've done for the industry um so yeah i was really really actually (laughs) I completely forgot. I actually playtested Portal 2 when I was up there. So, Oh, nice. I happened to go off at the time that they needed playtesters and... Uh, Just popped uh, in, gave it, a, gave it a crack. Yeah, I had terrible, terrible allergies. And they do like a post-playtest interview and my nose was basically a waterfall and I felt like I was giving such a bad impression because I like so desperately wanted to work there at the time. <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay. I was like trying to give good design feedback, but 
I look like You're a mess. I was probably bright red. And... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what That's it is. That's a bit of a shame. Who knows what could have been in that regard? <laughs> yeah. Well, they're looking to maybe move to New Zealand, so the rumour says. Well, yeah, uh, Gabe seems to be a big fan of it at the moment, so that, if that brings them nice and yeah, close, come there's, there's opportunities to come with that. So, just Yeah, a, just a they quick, got a lot of Aussies there. Just a quick flight, it'll be, it'll be great. Yeah, there are a few Aussies on the team I've, I've learned in recent years as I've just been doing a little bit of digging myself. Like, on the main mm. stage, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, some of the greatest hits. Um, yeah. They've done well. So, one I do want to pick pick your brain about again before we kind of get back to to game development and, and con artists, um, Fallout, working on a fan film. Yep. There. Now, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Fallout guy for whatever reason. It's just, especially I think the Bethesda ones for whatever reason, it's just not stuck with me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I prefer but, the earlier ones. Although I do like Fallout Three. Like I played a bunch of that. I haven't touched yeah. Seventy Six. But Lattice is one of those things that despite the fact that I wasn't a Fallout fan at all, I, I took quite a liking to that. What was it like being a part of that? Production value was fantastic. Uh, so that actually, there was some cool stuff going on with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a Perth director friend that hit me up to do some art for that. And um, I was actually in the States at the time. He was hitting me up. So I never actually saw like the set or anything. Yeah, okay. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to be to be involved in that and just just did him some like because he was doing it as a non-profit just did him some free art for it to help him promo it and whatnot and yeah it was it was great it's very indulgent to be like here's a franchise that i really like let's contribute let's to be a, a part of it somehow fan art thing yeah you know i've got some time i'm using it to hone my skills and build folio and stuff so why and not? throughout all of this so uh, fallout and allure and um you know, producing art for for an animated series and all those was was there still always the intention to get back into games, or was it were you actually potentially tempted to explore other options at this stage? I always preferred games, and I was looking for um, something that I could be a bit invested in. And so, when I got back to Australia after the US, um, I was like I was doing this freelance because contracting for VFX houses was pretty good pay and so I didn't need to work full time and could do other things like in between those gigs because they're sort of like on demand they're just like oh we need you for two weeks um, starting tomorrow you've got some time and um, just fit it in if possible yeah okay but um I just completely blanked on the question. What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, I was just talking about the um, the temptation to maybe explore those oh, other yeah, yeah. as opposed to stay, to in, get, stay to get in, back in games. games. Yeah. Yeah, so what I was... Um, so when I got back to, from the US, I thought, okay, it's time to figure out where I can stay in Australia because I only had a six-month visa. I had no way of like staying there without getting sponsored and... Yeah, okay. Um, even though I toured some studios, I hadn't like, you know, connected any anything official, and I wasn't even sure if I wanted to go straight into a job working in the US. Cause it Unless was it was available, that... <laughs> well, even so, that like, might be slightly different. Oh, okay. There Still was would have well, required some thought. Maybe it's like totally unnecessary worry, but like 
California's on a big fault line and is overdue for like a giant earthquake. And I was ah, kind of okay, like, ah, yeah. uh, don't have that I- that issue in you Australia. Know, it that's feels sure. pretty safe in Australia <laughs> to <laughs> be away from like natural hazards. And uh, but you know that's not happened. And um, yeah, we are quite fortunate not being fine. on a fault line though. It's it's good. Yeah, but even oh, for the US, it's not happened. Yeah. Even for California, they haven't like had any issues with it. But for some reason, that just stuck with me when I learnt about that in the US, and I was like, huh, hmm, okay. Yeah, anyway, unnecessary risk. Let's go back home. <laughs> um, and so when I got back, I was touring around Australia. I was well, not really touring. I went to Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne, and I tried to line up some meetings with people that were doing stuff that I could find connections for and see what's going on and I just happened to go to an IGDAM meeting in Melbourne which is run by Giselle and does an amazing yes. job and like it's evolved over the years and of course last year was locked down but yeah weird sort of uh, a year last the, year but Giselle and the team are awesome yeah yeah fantastic and um, I went to a session where Trent Custers was pitching Armelo this is the first um, sort of I guess reveal of it and it was just a logo it was just a splash screen with like words about the game and he talked about what they wanted to do with their studio and stuff and I, it was basically exactly what I wanted I wanted to be involved in an in indie game where I could be invested in it somewhat and um, because I sort of believe that also economically games have the potential to have a higher, higher ceiling for profit than oh for sure um, like film and whatnot because film gets so many people involved and like games is way more accessible to small teams and all of that so I wanted to invest some time in that and yeah after he'd pitched it I sort of went up and said hey here's my card um, I do concept art I would you know be keen to work on this or talk further and he put me onto Ty Carey who is probably the best art director I've worked with um or at least one of the best. I think he probably is the best. And yeah, he was really good. He's really amazing. And brought me onto the team after also warning me about someone else I had an interview lined up with, Marty Howe, who's like a Melbourne... Uh... I probably shouldn't be name-dropping all of these people <laughs> that have done, <laughs> done bad things. But... Well, anyway, I mean, they'll, he's they'll never come scene. on my show after this, but it's all right. <laughs> he's known in the scene. And I got some some warnings about him. Um, yeah, okay. He's one of the one of the kind of um, you know the people that get folks involved and um, maybe not remunerated. Oh, okay. Anyways, so I re- redirected my ship, and Armello was keen to have me, um, you know, doing early days concepting for them. So that's sort of where I found a bit of a home and. At that time, they also didn't have a studio space, so I could like go back to Perth to visit family, or I went to Singapore for a little bit to live there for a few months, and and so still just kind of work remotely. Yeah, yeah, a bit of like freelance or work on my stuff between, depending what was going on. Because um, yeah, like Armella was batches of works, and I worked on batches of things over the course of maybe like six years with obviously most of it happening at the start when they're sort of pitching for big funding and whatnot. Um, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That was, One uh, of the things that really interested me from, from this period that, that really kind of extends all the way through to today pretty much, uh, through this period where you were working at uh, working with League of Geeks on Armello, 
there was there was uh, the time with con artist on Last Stand Dead Zone and Warfare Online. There's then of course yep. the format uh, what you've been doing twice different Ring of Pain, and there was these plates all kind of being spun. Well, not all of them, but you know at various points multiple plates being spun simultaneously. What was that like trying to juggle those various different responsibilities and that that time and try to get that commitment just right? Mm, in terms of balancing workload, yeah. Uh, and I mm, guess things might yes, be, so. you know, the needs of the various um, uh, development, you know, processes will vary from time to time, and certain things, certainly things, kind of ebb and flow. But I'd imagine there's sometimes where things are starting to heat up in all spaces, and trying to trying to manage that yeah. time resource would be challenging. Yeah, definitely. Um, I so when I was at Con Artist Games, I was working there full time, and. Um, by that stage, Armello work was a bit more intermittent, like like much more spread out. And the but I was doing Steam Workshop. I at first um, a friend that works at Weta now um, asked if I wanted to collaborate on uh, making a ward item for Dota Dota Two. Okay. For the workshop, and so we collaborated on this with another guy that modelled um, the ward that I designed and. Um, we happened to get this into the game as our first item that we put onto the workshop. It had a ridiculously high approval rate and they put it in as the highest possible rarity tier. Um, Very into nice. Into their Halloween thing, like a couple of months after we'd made it. And we hadn't made anything else since. We just put this thing up. We just did it for fun. And yeah. at the time, we didn't understand how well it had gone. We were just like, oh, that's just kind of how the w- workshop works. And then... Um, we saw that you could actually make money doing this. And so I sort of turned my sights. We did another couple of things, but I mostly turned my sights into just soloing the Counter-Strike workshop because I yeah, okay. don't really I don't really play much Dota. My computer at the time couldn't ha- handle Dota. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. Uh, Fair so <laughs> Counter-Strike was way more my thing. Also FPS in general. Yeah, and I was really wanting to get... S- something into counter-strike so yeah i spent a lot of time doing that but this was outside of work hours so i was really kind of kind of burning the candle at both ends while working con ass games but i like i sort of adapted to that lifestyle i suppose and just self-setting these deadlines because i sort of figured out how the steam workshop store was working in terms of like prioritizing um you know, basically the algorithms behind it, like getting a sense for how it was working and how they were changing their systems for when like the store pages update and how it was filtered and like how to post things so you have the best chance of it reaching sort of like floating to the surface and whatnot. And yeah, so yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I figured I'm out super uh, well versed in that in that side of the platform, but that makes a lot of sense though. Yeah, yeah. It's basically like a store for items but it's just pages of items that people vote on and i needed to work in a way that i'd release um like a lot of content within a week kind of thing like if something went well you've got like a week window of putting the like collection page for that item i don't know if it's making sense but Uh, you've got like a week a week window of it of it being in sort of like the charts at a at a higher sort of 
I don't know, surfacing rate or whatever you'd call it. Yeah. And so I'd, <laughs> I'd have this terrible habit of being like wanting to make one thing and doing that after hours and then putting it up, say, on a Saturday because Saturday is like a good time generally. Yeah, okay. And then if I saw it go well, I'd feel like this huge pressure to populate up. the set with more. Yeah, exactly. And so I'd get into this cycle of needing to like churn out more and that constantly kind of thing uh, one up yourself yeah yeah indeed it wasn't a and so i got into this bad like habit of i guess burning myself out not not fully but just like feeling like i'm adapting to this process of like working during the day working at night as well and not necessarily and taking the time for yourself yeah yeah I, I did other stuff as well, but um, yeah, I definitely sort of, I guess, built a pretty high capacity for like just producing stuff over doing this. And, you know, eventually you recognize it's not good for your health. But, what, but what I think I wouldn't. You? Was it, was it, uh, was that anything just substantial? Or was it just a moment where you're reflecting, just going, oh, I just, I could probably be doing this better? Um, I think. It was great for learning. Like I learned a lot doing this and pumping stuff out and looking what other people did. It was like the new forum, okay. the forum of my sort of mid career, I'd say, because yeah. I could see, yeah, I could see the goalposts in this. I could see how I needed to be. I could see what like the better designers were doing with their work and how they combined materials or like what kind of detailed density they put into their art to make it look really good and. Um, seamless and just hone that taste um but yeah in terms of like sort of the realizations of needing to stop i guess it was like uh, after they released chests which is the the collection of items that they've curated to sell yeah um they released these every or they were releasing it every three to four months at the time i did it for like years yeah, okay, and right. Yeah, yeah. A couple of years into it, you know, every time a chest released and I didn't have something in it, I would just feel this like, I would just feel really torn between anxious and depressed that I didn't have something in it and then feeling like I need to analyze it and model my work based on what's getting in and then improve myself based on that and so feeling like i'm being trapped in this re really futile cycle of like feeling like i'm making better stuff but still not getting anything accepted so just co like consistent failure without any feedback and i'm like okay yeah this is time to time to make indie games now yeah, and I mean, I guess it was probably a good thing then that on, that on the side, or like, no, sorry, I say on the side, the full-time work was still ultimately something that was, I guess, maybe a bit better for, for your state of mind in that sense with uh, with yeah. Con Artist and with uh, Armello and then obviously, yeah, breaking out on your own as well um, and Ring of yeah, Pain eventually totally. coming with that too. Yeah, 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 for sure. It was, um, it provided more stability, but at the same time... Um, I was, 
I was earning more doing Steam Workshop than I was working a full-time job. All right, okay. And wow. I just kind of, I don't know, like after years working full-time, just kind of got exhausted, I guess. I mean, working full-time and doing Steam Workshop. Yeah, but working two full-time jobs, essentially. Yeah, just got exhausted and I was like, okay, it's time to do some indie games. Time to try that out. Yeah, so let's but, let's lean um, into twice different and ring of pain because we've we've been building up to this for fifty or so minutes now, and um, a lot of people yeah. know you for your recent work on Ring of Pain. Talk to me about the idea and how that came about and what it's been like working on it. And I, I shouldn't bombard you with too many questions. I've got lots of questions about Ring. Yeah, of pain. yeah, all all the things. Um, so it's partly in reaction to um, the first indie game that I made with a friend, Matt Stenterford who's a programmer buddy of mine, Matt and Xander Hume did audio for us. Uh, we made this really bright, colorful mobile game called Bounce House. And that, um, yeah, it was, it was a flop, basically. It made that's some right. money, but it didn't, didn't make a profit. Uh, yeah. But that's fine. Um, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, that's, that's how it goes. Yeah. Or you lose a lot. You win a few, you lose a lot. <laughs> and You hope that the wins uh, offset the losses. <laughs> yeah yeah you hope so but often they don't but still uh it's all about persistence it's a persistence game and um it was like in reaction to making this cute colorful thing i was kind of like okay i gotta go back to my horror ish roots make something really dark this is what i more enjoy painting because it's kind of like it's almost like um cathartic in a way you just paint just like horror things that can be really indulgent yeah, yeah. i don't need to paint faces so much just like really broad impressionistic style um and so i was inspired by also just wanting to make a game that i wanted to play because i play a lot of roguelikes and i don't know of other melbourne developers that are making roguelikes really um at None least spring not to mind. the kind of the kind of modern roguelikes that i was playing like um yeah like dead cells and i mean i i wouldn't say hades is like an example of the kind of thing that i wanted to make but um yeah like binding of isaac and dead cells i put a lot of time into yeah okay into the gungeon that kind of thing um so it's like the modern roguelite or roguelike um not traditional roguelike um but so i played this game called i am overburdened which is has a simple premise that you've got the, the name sounds like, familiar somewhere that's, yeah that's i might have it. i might have mentioned it in a press kit or something but yeah okay that was that was an influence on me this like i was just really enjoying this little simple dungeon crawler roguelike game which has an a limited inventory the whole premise is you can only have wider one item per item slot which is what we do in Ring of Pain uh, and I've sort of iterated on this and added like active items and stuff and then I was thinking like where is a space that we can innovate as an indie developer well at the time it was just me solo but, but yeah but like as, this as is as the strength of an yeah. indie yeah yeah this is the strength of indie is is like the innovation side you really need to play on that so you can cut scope in other areas and I was thinking uh, dungeon crawlers often have 
a lot of walking through empty tiles, through empty hallways, this kind of thing. There's yep. a lot of time taken to travel and Metroidvanias as well. Like I play some Metroidvanias and, and it always feels like... between those two, yeah, for sure. Mm, and, and I was wondering, what would it be like if we took out that? Like, is the movement redundant? Can we just bring each encounter to the player so they're just just churning through basically the important decisions they make the choice uh, and that they're showing like the outcomes of their choices but as soon as they've done that they're on to the next choice like you don't have and maybe there's a pacing thing that could be justified for some games to have these what might be deemed redundant um parts of it like the travel part yeah if you're in an exploration game like it's not redundant like you want to be exploring no that's that's kind of the key but key in those particular cases (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and it sort of transfer transformed um this game and what i was developing into more of a puzzle and and by organizing it into a format where you could see the whole dungeon at once uh yeah it becomes like a strategy kind of puzzle game where you're choosing how to navigate and like trying to optimize your order of actions to get the best result and optimize and and like manage your resources manage your inventory to take the least damage because health is the main resource and gain of course souls which is the currency and it just sort of expanded from there and in terms of the art inspirations like uh like surrealist photography and a lot of illustration concept artists uh that I like to do dark stuff and like the dark soulsy kind of flavor is what I really wanted to capture. And then also yeah, taking and I mean, inspiration from okay. you know, as a, as a consumer of games. And I think like the first time I think I found the game might've been in the lead up to packs a few years ago, I guess pre-release oh, pre, yeah. pre-pandemic that, that crazy period where the world wasn't completely on fire. Um, yeah. And the the first thought I got there was kind of based around a lot of those art styles that you're really trying to take influence from there, but yeah, like there was kind of that soulsy dark feel about it, though not what we tend to associate with souls, but like you can mm. see hints of it, you could see teases, and you could see influence in there, and that I mean I'm not a souls guy, but um, I took a liking to this the style of it though, um, and that instantly caught my attention yeah. and then th- thankfully uh, a bit of work was done I, uh, on player two for the site in the lead up because I think you were, you were part of the, the PAX showcase if I recall yeah one point. Yep. yeah um, yeah we were so, in the indie showcase so we ha- uh, we had someone from the team and I don't recall now sorry player two people I've forgotten but um, someone had, had been in touch and I just I read through their, their interview afterwards and their account of the game and I was fascinated by the whole thing, so I was really, really keen to learn more. Made sure to get my hands on it when uh, when I dropped into packs afterwards. But um, <laughs> it was a really, it is a really fascinating. Co- I'm really stuffing up the tense in this interview. In this interview today, um, it's all right. We, we live in the past, present, and future. Yeah, exactly. It, at any given moment, we can be whatever. So it's great. We're recording <laughs> this in a vacuum. We transcend uh, time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was really fascinated by the idea and and loved it when I got my hands on it. So. How did you find that translating to other consumers as they're potentially just walking across the show floor and going, oh, what's this? And, and giving it a go or were maybe drawn <laughs> to the art style. And then, what, what is this game? Well, let, let's try it out. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really like? hard to pitch, as I found out. Um, because it's when you make a game that doesn't play like other games, there's not really a good touchstone to get people in. And so you need to just rely on either the art or some sort of charisma or a combination of both to try and yep. summons people into the booth to attract them in. And um, yeah, I would just sort of like ask, do you like dungeon crawlers? Do you like um, roguelikes? Uh, do you like Binding of Isaac? Or this kind of... Yes, 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 we'll come <laughs> over here. Yeah, roguelike card game, dungeon crawler, hybrid... It's really hard to pitch because it was so mechanically focused and at the time I didn't have a good um, flavor pitch for it. So, yeah, one of the things that was challenging, sort of like you allude to, was that you really need to play it to understand sort of the immersion of it and how it works. It's not something that I can easily understand, uh, easily, easily explain without showing well, and even yeah, I mean, when you show, you you sort of dilute the experience for a person if you're showing it to them. Yeah, and I mean to that to that point, like we were talking about, you know, what I could, I mean, what I already had the luxury of reading bits and pieces that were already on the on the website from the interview that started at that point. But even mm. seeing some, uh, like just seeing it out there on the show floor and seeing some screenshots that popped up, I thought, oh, like I'm not a card game guy either, and I'm looking at the gun. Mm. Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be for me. Like, I've I just been burnt yeah. some of those and whatever previously. And I was so glad that I I took the word of, again, apologies, player two people, whoever it was that had um, put together the, the, the preview and the conversation from how many years ago it was now. Um, I was so yeah. glad I, I put faith in their their confidence and what, what had been portrayed <laughs> in the chat there. And I gave it a go. I'm like, yeah, okay, this this whatever like okay sure i'm not a souls guy but it's a there's an artistic influence there that really i do like and looks fantastic card games aren't really my thing but this just works like the, it was the the sum of the parts that all just jived in a way that really spoke to me and i'd imagine you were looking That's for cool. similar people in that similar sort of boat that okay maybe there's certain things here that historically haven't spoken to me but mm, for sure the the, the yeah. whole actually works and is Fantastic. Yeah, we really, really wanted to make an accessible roguelike because a lot of games have complexity layers that like turn off people, like you say, or even just yeah, we are making a card game, but it's not a card game really. It's yeah. it's a dungeon crawler presented with cards, and people get that impression straight up. A lot of people say, you know, like making a card game is really divisive. Like when we. Um, got other little Nintendo announce shout out or when Humble did some sort of little announce yeah there were people that were disappointed that it, there's another card game kind of thing ah. and it's hard to market um, that to it's those not, people it's not a Slay the Spire clone I love Slay the Spire I, I really love Slay the Spire and um, I forgot to mention them earlier in influencers, but certainly they do really well in terms of accessibility. Like their tooltip system, sort of, it was a model for how I wanted to make information available in our game, even though it's a completely different format. But yeah, card game can be a turn off for some people and a turn on. And even in the lead up to launch, I was being advised that we should not market it as a card game. And I was kind of like, nah, we've got to. You know, some people do like card games. 
<laughs> even though it's not really a card game like if you market it as card game you can get a bigger you can get that niche audience which is potentially more passionate even if they you know want it to be a different type of card game um they still probably like it because the hardest part is just getting people in to try something that's different that's not comparable yeah and i mean uh, that you know similar to what i was talking about with the show floor experience there that you know getting like getting people through the door and like you said you know it could be a combination of art and charisma and those sorts of things but uh just just getting people to to give it a go can be one of the hardest <laughs> one of the hardest things especially if there's some preconceived idea from experiences with with uh, other card games elsewhere or or whatever whatever it happens yeah. to be like breaking those down can be yeah. really challenging but again speaking You're purely for battling. my purely from my experience like as soon as i put my hands uh, on it back at PAX in what 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 year was that now because I keep referring to this weird nebulous so, time before the pandemic it would have been I think it would have been 2019 yeah because I'd just gone to Gamescom a month or two prior and we would we had just signed um Humble as a publisher yeah okay and I yeah I didn't even yeah I think I got the news that we were going to be in the PAX indie showcase like just before I was leaving the Gamescom it felt like suddenly things are happening for this game that I've been working on for a year and a half. Like suddenly it's all coming people together. People are going to see it and it's a bit daunting and but I don't know Pax liked something about it so maybe that's reassuring. You trust their and, judgment. Yeah, well, you hope so. Uh but yeah, I mean it's it's just, it's been a success. So it's been great. Uh it's been amazing. We've got a really good reception. It's um and I think if if we could break through that barrier of like reaching the people that would like it that's the most valuable thing at this point along with adding more content of course but games like you know like Hades has come out and then all these um, all these people on Twitter are like oh I've never played a rogue roguelike before roguelite I should say yeah but oh I'm here's all of my end screens on Hades and it's and they like don't these games exist and these people would like uh, more games than they play but it's hard to there's sort of like that early adopter leap of like you need to get people across the bridge or get that snowball of popularity well it's it's kind of links back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show those those degrees of separation and they're they're, they're totally there like mm. there's such a small step between hades and x and y and z and your game and like it's just they're all connected and it's mm. just helping people to see that um, and getting them to actually just explore the market a little bit can be one of the great challenges. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And Steam, like platforms do a really good, um, do, a, do a lot of work, especially Steam does a lot of heavy lifting. They've built in all their, you know, this curation stuff and recommendation engine and all of that to help surface stuff and, you know, find games that people might like everything's got a recommendation yeah, you know, exactly. system now but <laughs> but it it does a world some are more effective than others developers. though and Steam's definitely very effective oh yeah yeah Steam is very effective Steam is good um, yeah we're... so we discussed before the fact that there's still content coming to the game there's still ideas and things that you would have liked to have gotten in day and date but they're, they're continuing to roll out now so I assume the, the community's mm-hmm. still lapping that up oh yeah 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 we got people um yeah, we run a, a PC dis, uh, 
beta as well so we run a discord server and then um push our beta updates and there's you know people sort of discussing new items when we chuck things in and oh good yeah we're working away we're working towards um the biggest update to date which will drop in a couple of months and um, oh, awesome. so that'll be interesting to see yeah trying something a bit different than and i guess like, those community trickling. voices in something like a discord would be really really valuable as well i mean they're, they're people to really mm. immerse themselves in the game they're not someone that spots it say at a pax for example and just kind of off the street goes oh yeah like and and they'll they'll render their their opinion this is this is the hardcore community that really lives and yeah. breathes it maybe in some cases as well um yeah they, they, those they test the limits really, of it really awesome yeah yeah they they're a uh... <laughs> there are interesting flavors of fans as well like some there's one person in particular in our discord burb tato who who is great and if always tests the limits of yeah yeah burb tato good job thanks for being a part of our community always test the limits of the minimalist runs so recently oh, they right. said they almost completed it with using only two items in the whole run kind of thing and uh, just really pushing, like, when we release a weird item that synergizes with, like, having less than certain items or certain item slots empty kind of thing, they want to see how far they can get with, you know, just one or two or three things and really, like, super, super hardcore. And then the other end of, like, or one other corner of the fandom is, like, speed running a turn-based game like how fast can you finish this turn turn based game which is quite interesting like someone's finished it in seven what was it like something around seven minutes what which is insane like the average finish time is like 30 to 40 minutes and this person has managed to complete it in seven minutes (laughs) yeah i don't know how but I, I but, do uh, love the idea of these self-imposed challenges that people and constraints that people are putting on yeah, themselves and yeah. just shooting for the stars. It's really, really cool. And I, I imagine would still provide some really, really useful feedback for you as well. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great way to see what, see the ways that people want to play as well. And so we yeah. can adapt our content. And it's a, lot, a big reason why I wanted to, um, you know, do the game as a service thing and see how that goes is we can get the community involved and so we actually just recently with the last um the lunar new year year update we added a little community credits like note in the item collection so if uh, some yeah we we run like design competitions in the discord and then we offer the winner if they want um we'll adapt their design into the game and then we give them a little credit in the thing as well that is a, a nice cyclical bit of goodwill there with the community. Yeah, they they love it. They love uh, seeing their stuff, their ideas like come to life, and it's it's exciting for us as well. Like, because we know it's something that they want, and if they designed a terrible thing, then well, we can say you know it's their nah. fault. No, 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 no. It's no, nah, it's been good. But you, know, you have a bit of fun with it, and that's, that's awesome in that respect too. Whilst being really engaging and building the community up and helping the game, it all it all kind of every, everyone wins really. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, it's very. I think this is the other thing about well, another thing about indie devs is like we can have a face, we can interface with the community, and 
and adapt the game to suit them as well yeah yeah there's there's fewer entities in the way fewer arbiters uh, it makes things a lot easier <laughs> yeah so another thing to discuss yeah. is the dungeon experience the dungeon experience yes our little mud crab friend yes yeah, so i might uh, yeah. for anyone who's not familiar with that one i might get you to describe it a little bit because uh this, <laughs> this is a really cool little idea i i I, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching that trailer in the lead up to this. Just, just going. Like I'd seen it before, and just going back and watching it again. Like, yeah, this, this is speaking to me. <laughs> yeah, um, this is really speaking to me. Excellent. Well, that's good. So, this project is headed up by Jacob Janerka, who is an old Perth buddy of mine, and yep. um, we, yeah, so we co-created this and were at first sort of working part time together on it, and. Um, now he's gone full time and it's a comedy narrative adventure about an entrepreneurial mud crab so uh he's a low level rpg monster that's aspiring to be something greater and he does so by building sort of like an adventure themed um theme park like a larping kind of place where you can go and get a real life dungeon experience with him as the dungeon master uh, this being a, an audio podcast, unfortunately, listeners can't see the shit-eating smirk on my face the entire way through that whole thing. <laughs> it's just the the whole concept is just is golden to me. I'm looking I'm looking forward to kind of seeing what what that amounts to. But uh, um, what I guess what more can be kind of said about the game at this particular point? Because it is obviously as we've you know outlined there, it's still a work in progress. Um, what can we kind of say about the game and its current state and how things are tracking and your involvement and and the like yeah I think so story's pretty much blocked in and we're aiming for something like a th- I would I would say like three hours of content maybe I'm not yeah, sure okay. we'll, we'll have to play it play it all through when it's done these but things basically, are still uh, sort of, and someone will finish it in yeah minutes, for sure so <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> I'll speed run it. Uh, but yeah it's it's gonna be absurd humor i don't know if you played paradigm jacob's last game but um no i don't think i did no sort of sort of pretty absurd absurd humor like the adult swim kind of kind of flavor the the um you know a bit off i have to go check it out yeah yeah it's uh it's gonna be really good um yes it's hard to it's hard to know what to say. We're we're wanting to we're wanting to release a demo this year, so okay, cool. Keep an eye out for that. Yeah, we're gonna. Well, be... I mean, you know, cycle back to Steam. They've been doing some great demo events in recent uh, months. Oh yeah, especially. Amazing. So there might be a perfect outlet for people to get their hands on dungeon experience there and start to get a bit of a feel for for what it's about, and, and of course that humor that's abundantly well, it, it's right right there and can't be missed in the in that trailer. So. If if you're not familiar yeah. with what I'm talking about, be sure to go and check it out. Because uh, for anything like me, yeah, there was a dirty grin on the face the entire time. I was having a great, great, great time. Um, Excellent. Good and, to know, hear. I, I was I was rewatching as I was kind of putting together my notes for the show the yesterday or the, you know listen the, the day before we actually recorded this. I was just call, trawling through. I had the laptop on my lap there, and I'm just uh, rewatching bits and pieces and digging through LinkedIn as we established before. And but yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, came across the trailer for the game again. Just the wife goes, "What are you? Aren't you supposed to be, you know, doing doing your research for the podcast?" And I go, "Yeah, I am." 
she goes no <laughs> no you're not I, go, I 100% am but there's just me chuckling away to myself and yeah yeah it's gonna be good it's it's basically like like a kind of slice of life comedy but with this weird absurd twist so it's it's intending to be very relatable but also it's got those sort of you know Dungeons and Dragons themes and the entrepreneurial kind of themes and this kind of yeah offbeat I guess adult-ish humor but not in a crude not in like a a tacky crude kind of adult humor just the absurdist sort of like uh, you know, a lot of things kind of colliding and the chaos in- that ensues. Yeah, yeah, this kind of flavor. Just, just, you know, it's hard to describe. I guess the closest kind of sort of humor you'd see in games might be sort of the Crows, Crows, Crows things or Stanley Parable oh, okay. or that yep. sort of thing where it's, you know, they're trying to do something different um, by being true to their creative essence. And that's, yep. yeah, what we're trying to be trying to do with this there you go everyone listening there's a, there's a handy little point of reference for you when it comes to the humor there <laughs> so as we begin to wind things down i'd like to cycle a little bit back to towards you and and actually your your ideas when it comes to development is there anyone out there that really inspires you or has really inspired you in the way you go about your work i'd imagine there's probably quite a few people you might have encountered mm. through through the forum for example back in the day just to use one example there that might have really informed your approach in some way obviously yeah i'm not sure everyone's art styles are usually quite unique but maybe just the way you go about it might have been inspired by someone yeah in terms of art i really like impressionist painting and so that's sort of the style i lean towards is more gestural and the style of ring of pain um you might have seen was uh partly inspired by aphantasia which is um a condition where people can't visualize mental imagery Okay. So some people don't have a visual imagination at all. And this exists on a spectrum um, from aphantasia, no visual imagination, to being able to completely vividly visualize something that you imagine in your head. So I could say, like, picture a red apple. And, like, if you have a vivid imagination or you or fully vivid, you'd see, like, red, fully detailed, almost realistic apple in your mind. Yeah. And I'm probably like somewhere in the middle of the spectrum. I don't have particularly vivid. And I was trying to emulate this style with the art. That's quite cool. I think this kind of is also why I have some particular artistic like inklings or habits. Because I often find myself creating paintings from chaos, kind of. Yeah. Like the painting will or the design will come out as it's being created. And I like to sort of embrace that process more than the sort of like looking at something and copying more directly or... Embracing the the chaos. Embracing the chaos, yes, yes. There is a room in (laughs) Rig of Bank called Embracing Chaos. Um, Yeah, very... A very true room to my heart where <laughs> things change unexpectedly. Yeah, I figured but, I had to drop that one in there given, given the subject matter <laughs> in, in the game. It just fit perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and the, probably does the connect a few dots more... <laughs> So some of the... Um, there's like some artists that are in 
like some of the Naughty Dog artists really embraced the sort of more like buttery painting style that's more impressionistic. There's like lots of lost edges. Like, like when you look at a painting, if you can see all the sort of like, uh, maybe I shouldn't go into edge like <laughs> painting. No, no, feel free. No, no, feel free. Well, so like in, in paintings, um, when you're trying to define shapes and show shapes like divide shapes as well or blend shapes there's three types of edges you've got soft edges which will blend like curves or blend yeah. shapes together you've got hard edges which will be a divide between shapes like or a really clear or, or distinction whatever. yeah and then hidden edges where like say um a painter like frank frazetta who's like a famous old fantasy painter did this a lot you have like um, a figure standing and like blending into mist or blending into parts of the environment around kind of thing and these are lost edges and okay. there's a real art form to being able to master all of these edge types in your in your painting like visually um, use them well and uh, I think the impressionists do a really good job of um, like they probably lean more towards hidden or, or like soft edges and I really like that I really like just showing the impression of something rather than painting everything so like you let the viewer compile the image in their mind to some extent and this so is you obviously use the example of um, some uh, talented Naughty Dog now I, I'm i a big fan of a lot of their work so I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what some of, some of the examples might be maybe for, for anyone out there that's also you know, at least versed in some of Naughty Dog's work over the journey, like what what sort of things are we talking about? Where where do we kind of see that shine through in some of their work that you can think of? If, if yeah, there's so you can kind of think of yeah, there's an artist called um, Aiton Zanna. Yeah. who I'm not sure exactly what his he's definitely like a lead there or maybe higher, and he's really good at this sort of um, yeah, really vibrant, good color values, good. Um, edge work he's really good at the sort of like the buttery painting is how concept artists describe it where it's really smooth and just like i don't know juicy i guess yeah and i don't know how how to pronounce this guy's name but matt kuchara is yeah, okay. a really really um amazing artist that worked for them he does more sort of realistic sort of like photo bash stuff i used to do a lot a lot more sort of photo manipulation in painting that kind of combination of photos and, and painting which is similar to matte painting like kind of derived from matte painting which is the film background painting yeah okay discipline where they are mostly extending um photo plates they have like part of a photo and they need to you know paint the rest of it in to use in a background a film background or something i'll have to pay closer attention when i'm playing some of their games to see if i could i mean i'm not I'm yeah. not going to be very well, well first. I'll probably struggle and I'll probably completely miss it because I'm not 100% clear on what I'll be looking for. But um... yeah, it, it um, like it shows up really well in concept art and it's hard to translate okay. into 3D. Uh, but because I was making an illustrative game, like you can bring you it can to the final the product as well. More like that. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, but I it's have important a lot of, knowledge. Yeah. 
again, I, got, I mentioned big, big Naughty Dog fan. I've got a fair few of their art books floating around, so maybe if I go trawling through some of those, I'll I'll start to see exactly. What oh yeah, you'll find it'll stuff. Make, it'll all make a lot more sense at that particular stage. Um, have there been yeah, any totally. really valuable lessons or experiences you've picked up along the way? Outside of don't get involved Ooh. with people that are where the business is clearly starting <laughs> to collapse under them at the beginning. <laughs> it seems well, like you you've overcome that, that phase now. So, well, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, That's my business cool. doesn't collapse under, under me. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm not the one now. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've had, yeah, I've had had a few really good mentors over the years. Um, yeah, like more recently, Ty was a great art director. Chris Condon, who ran Con Artist Games, uh, was a really good inspiration for, um, yeah, studio head because he was always very generous um, with us. We were a small indie team, and um, yeah, he was a great boss. And then, sort of, when I went to the art course, I, I had a really good art mentor, Marshall Vandruff, who teachers at colleges over there teachers sort of like perspective and anatomy and all sorts of great art courses and he was one of the best communicators that i've ever met he's got a really amazing talent for distilling information and then presenting it in a way with like anecdotes or metaphors that makes it really easy for people to digest maybe in a way the master of user experience design but for communication i might have like gleaned some uh wisdoms from from that style somehow um but yeah also the first studio i worked at into zone games which did employ but the guy who ended up directing the perth studio as in like being a local director and managing the team yeah is yeah one of the best managers as well that i've ever had the pleasure of working with and he's a good friend of mine as well nick Lowe. And, and i'd imagine uh, what you learned there would be really valuable these days as it's gotten to a point where you're now though with with twice different you're kind of leading leading the charge there and i'd imagine there's probably a lot yeah. you've learned from the way he was running things back in the day yeah i think so he's he was always very approach, approachable and um yeah i guess i guess with indie development as well we are a small team and so and i've also never had management training and and so i probably am like more of a vulnerable like teammate and like boss where i want it to be a collaboration like i don't want to be the boss yeah you obviously need to i don't i need to steer the company in a way that makes sense for the business as well as you know the projects and so but yeah we're, we're in this journey together and <laughs> making games is hard work <laughs> so yeah, and striking that balance is, but, is undoubtedly difficult yeah absolutely but there's no point um not I, I don't think there's anything to gain from like being opaque really it's better off to just be transparent with everyone with like how you're doing as well and how how things are going overall and like um yeah just i've always just sort of treated people like people even if they're like more famous or yeah regardless of the, like their a, profile and what, dude, what they bring with them yeah exactly like i don't want that sort of try to set that power dynamic aside um yeah we're, we're here to work on a project we're part of the team let's just be the best team that we can be yeah 
exactly. I think it's a very good way to be, not just in game development, but a whole bunch of different work, walks of life. So you're onto something there, I think. I'm sure you're trying to instill this with your students as well. Yeah. Can you tell that I've maybe trotted that one out a few times? Group assignments in there? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it, it probably comes across to them a bit weird when their math teacher's telling them that, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so a couple of curly ones as we wrap things up. Uh, if there was any game that's ever existed that's been released, maybe it's your favourite game, maybe it's something else entirely, that uh, you would love to have been credited for in some way, shape, or form, <laughs> in any capacity. It, it could be anything. You could have you know, done concept art, you could be heading the studio, whatever the case happens to be. What would that game be that you'd love to have been in some way responsible for? Even if it's yeah, special I effects. Yeah, I think my... <laughs> I think my buy goes straight to Ultima 7 because it was just such a formative game for me, I think. I learned, Good I learned so much about <laughs> about even just little things like weapon names from Ultima. Yeah. Um, and I remember like getting my mum over to the computer and saying, what is this thing? And clicking on what was spelt like debris and what looked like a rock. And she's saying, "Oh, that's debris. That's rubbish." And learning. Oh, right. We're like, going that that formative experience. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like actually, it was. There was aspects of it that were actually pretty educational. Like the game was researched quite a lot with sort of medieval, um, you know, accuracy in terms of the items and stuff. But it's also this weird game that the start of it, you go into a barn and there's like a splayed corpse on the ground with in pools of blood so it's not like the kind of game that a kid would probably be playing nowadays no probably not <laughs> but it was <laughs> yeah you don't even, i didn't even that, like realize that until <laughs> i didn't even reflect on that until like last year really <laughs> about that was your experience and you learned a lot from it so why not uh similar sort of question. yeah but yeah could, i mean oh sorry go for it uh, yeah, I was just going to say that I would love to have been credited on it. It's just an amazing game. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a great title. Uh, similar sort of question. If you could uh, wipe your memory and just replay any one game for the first time all over again, what game would it be? Ooh, whoops. Um, That's right. Hmm. Gee. Maybe one of the Half-Lifes. Because they were really good. And but even, even within that family, it's kind of... Who's the favorite child? That's a that's a tricky one for a lot of people still. Yeah, I think maybe Half Life Two. Okay. Uh, yeah, I remember being so blown away by the cutscenes in that game because they were sort of happening as you're playing it, and you know, games hadn't really been doing that very much. Or no, at things all, had gotten maybe. into uh, monotony's not the right word, but there, there there was a degree of predictability within games at that particular stage. Mm. And that really shook things up. So I, I, that's a really, really awesome choice. Yeah. I I mean, you got the nostalgic goggles on as well. So well, it might helps. need a bit of an HD remix. HD remix and then like a wipe, wipe the memory and play it. <laughs> I, I'm sure the fans yeah. are working on that as we speak. So don't worry about it. They'll pro- and, be, and Valve involved, they'll probably find a way to wipe your memory of it too. And, <laughs> and games, yeah. Or maybe last nice us. and close. So you'll find a way to yeah. just zap you from over in New Zealand. <laughs> so uh, thank you too, Simon very very much for, for coming on the show and sharing your stories and experiences if people are looking to catch up with you follow you 
learn more about uh, Ring of Pain and the dungeon experience and anything else that's to come in the future, where would they be best to go? Probably best to just follow my Twitter. I post most game updates on there, uh, which is just sboxle, S-B-O-X-L-E. Or otherwise, you can join our Discord servers. There's a Ring of Pain Discord, and there's also a Dungeon Experience Discord. So and... go, be sure to go and check those out. See if you can finish the game in less than seven minutes with less than <laughs> two items. Was that what we said before? The, the community yeah, is setting well, some yep. high benchmarks, so see what you can achieve. They are. Yeah, they're very they're very interested in those challenges. And now I've got to probably turn, turn some of them into achievements. So you'll ah, see yes, the... Of the handiwork of what they've accomplished and need to replicate it yourself if you want to get those oh. sweet, sweet achievements. Oh, God. <laughs> that's, that, that's, a, that's a daunting prospect already, but... Uh... <laughs> we won't yeah, put right. the most brutal ones in. We're not going to have a finish the game in seven minutes, but, you know. <laughs> ah, if only one person can do it, that, that just makes the, the, the 100% all the more appealing for some of those really hardcore achievement Yeah, hunters. that's so, right. Maybe there's something Chase to it as well. Off. Maybe you bring in a whole other audience because of how hard it is in that respect. Yeah. People, people yeah. go crazy. Well, these are things to keep in mind for the future, future yeah. products. Who knows? It's interesting to see what people want. Yeah. But as I said, thank you very, very much for, for coming on the show, sharing your, your stories and experiences. We've we've gone off on all sorts of tangents today and I've loved every little bit of it. It's been great to kind of t- uh, talk about... <laughs> all sorts of stuff that I didn't have written down here and it's, it's been really fascinating to learn about so thank you very much for sharing everything with myself and the listeners today yeah thanks so much and thanks to everyone that's tuned in yeah and good luck with the continued development but uh, that wraps things up for this episode so listeners thank you much for listening and I'll see you next time That concludes this entry of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you would like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Simon's Story. Thanks very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.